Don't even try to read into that. It is just flat out weird. I was trying to make a transition, and there is no transition from that video other than to say it's weird. And we are in a series called Weird. We're actually in the fourth week. Is this week? And um, we're just looking at how um, we're being challenged by how Jesus says, don't, don't be normal. Normal doesn't work. He's putting a call on us to be weird, to walk in his way. And so we've been looking at that. If you've missed any of the messages over the past few weeks, you can go to the website, click on resources, and you can get the podcast or the MP3 from there. I've seen some weird commercials. Maybe you've seen this set of commercials recently. There was one in particular. Uh, I think it was put out by Citibank. And it shows this rather large guy that should be exercising. He is in the right place. He's in the gym. And it shows him coming out of the locker room all happy and excited and he's, until he steps on the scale. And he steps on that scale and you see his head just go down like this. And then he proceeds, and this is the kicker, he proceeds to do one lap around the room in the gym to get back on the scale to see, did it change? <laughs> and then you, and it, it is weird and you laugh and, until you hear the voiceover. The voiceover says, are you tired of waiting for your rewards? And so you go, ah, okay, I get it. What was weird is actually normal. And we're going to look at that some more today um, just to see why that's not weird. It's quite normal. As we do that, I do want to get Bibles in your hands because we're going to be looking at God's Word this morning. So, ushers, if you would come down and hand out Bibles, if you do not have one, uh, take one. It is our gift to you. Believe the words in there are true and will lead you to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We've been in uh, kind of the anchor verse is um, what's called Sermon on the Mount, and we're looking at Matthew 7, verse 13, and this is a a large chunk of Jesus' teaching, and we've been putting this verse in front of us each week. Matthew 7, verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This metaphor of a road and a gate is common in Jewish literature. It it represents a moral path. And what I love about God's word is it holds together. It's unified. And so we've been staring at Matthew 7, verse 13 for the past few weeks. But I want you to write another verse down. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 16. Because the, the prophets recorded in saying something, God uses them to say something that's exactly like what we've been looking at. Let's look at that verse. Again, chapter 6, verse 16 of Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls, saying the same thing that Jesus is calling us to. Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to one, I'm calling to you to a place. I have a destination set for you. Now, the the reality is we do have a choice of whether we want to go one way or the other way, but he's saying, go this way. Have a destination, follow my instructions. And as Christ followers, we should do that. It's kind of like how we, we have GPSs, right? We set the destination and we follow the instructions. 
Now, if you were to hear my spiritual GPS, you'd often hear recalculating, recalculating. Why? Not because God changes, because we know he doesn't. His word says he's the same before, now, and after. So it's not him. It's me. Like we were talking about a couple weeks ago, there's this pull, this gravitational pull to do what other people do, to be normal, to go with the flow. But he's calling us in a different direction. I have a cholesterol problem. My doctor called me into a different direction. He said, you need to be doing these things. I had a friend recently who almost died from heart and cholesterol problems. Again, making him go, ah, I need to go in a different direction. But I've been finding watching the Food Channel is not a good thing. <laughs> you ever watch diners, drive-ins, and dives? Oh, the food in there. Cupcake Wars, I love sweets. It's not, but I'm like, oh, look at that but I'm being called in a different direction. You see, that wide road, what it permits us to do, the traveler can meander that road and kind of go after whatever they desire, whatever I desire. But as a Christ follower, Jesus is saying, no, over here, it's not about your desires, it's about God's desires. Your Father in heaven, that's what you are to be doing. And so today we're gonna look at this the notion of desires. And the state of the culture is, I think that voiceover is great, where it says, you know, are you tired of waiting for your rewards? Because we live in a culture that, like, demands on demand. And there's, and there's cell commercials, right? The new one is, oh, that's so 25 seconds ago, right? We, we, we have everything instant. Instant devices, instant internet. We, we want immediate. Well, there was a, a study done on the Google culture. That's what they would call us now is this Google culture. Google serves 34 billion queries a day. That's with a B, 34 billion queries a day, about 34,000 per second. And what they have found, if they slow the response time by four tenths of a second, it has an impact on the number of people that go back and ask for questions. By 8 million, it's reduced. They have found that this Google culture will not wait four seconds for a web page to load. One in four will wait four seconds for a web page to lo load before they move on. So they studied this, this generation outside of, of the screen, and they found that most of us are unwilling to wait 15 minutes in line. And one in five had admitted to being rude to a person that has served them slowly. You see, normal says, I want what I want and I want it now. We live in a culture that demands instant gratification. We want it immediately. And we're willing to go after that even at the expense of consequences, even at the expense of having it affect our relationship with God because he doesn't desire that we go in that path. It becomes about what we want. Well, Paul was writing to uh, the church in Galatia over a crisis that was going on there. And there were some teachers, some Christ followers who were teaching and they were teaching of their own, what, their own desires, their own prestige and what they wanted. 
and he wrote to them. And I want to read in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 17, because it kind of speaks to this. He says, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. You see, this sinful, selfish interest is in every one of us, all of us. And, and Paul's saying that it has a different desire than what God desires, but yet it's, it's real, it's in there for all of us. Now this, it's not a recent trend that this is you know, becoming more apparent. It's always been that way. Humanity has always been about securing its own feasting, doing whatever it takes to get what they want. Write down Genesis 25, and you can go back there and read a, about a story of twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. They're the sons of um, Rebekah. And, and Jacob was, let's see, how, he loved to be around the home and cook. Esau was more of the outdoorsman kind of guy. Uh, his name literally means man of, a rural, man of rural regions. Imagine if we said that about people who are hunters and gatherers today. It'd be like, man, you are so a man of the rural regions, right? We had stories after that. But these two sons of Isaac and Rebekah, they... One day, Jacob's making this stew because he loved to be in the home and cooking. And Esau comes in from outside. He's famished, he's tired, and he sees that. And he wants it. And so he says to Jacob, give me some stew. And he says, Jacob says shrewdly, sure, you can have stew. Give me your birthright. Now the birthright for the Israelites and for all the ancient times there, that was a big deal. It was to the firstborn. It had privileges and possessions associated with it. It was protected by law so that the father could not sell that away. And so Jacob says, give me that. And Esau, out of his appetite-driven life, give me what I want, give it to me now, trades his birthright for the chance to eat some stew. Now, you may say, well, all right, I, that's Bible times. It's not now. I want, there's a study that was done in 1960 by a, a professor in Stanford. His name was Michael Michel. He took four-year-olds and he gave them marshmallows. Now, this study has been repeated several times with the same result. I want you to check it out on the screen. Sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right.
How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. I think that video is just such a great depiction of that verse in Galatians 5:17. the battle that goes on. I mean, do you see them? They're staring at it, smelling it, some of them eating around the edges. And uh, we had to cut that video um, in order to bring it in a bit in time. But what ended up happening and happens in these studies as it's repeated is one-third of the kids ate it immediately. They didn't care about the second marshmallow. They ate that first one, bam. Then more ate it just after a little bit more time. Only one-third of the kids ended up waiting and going for that second marshmallow. So normal people want what they want, and they want it now. But also normal people trade a long-term blessing for a short-term pleasure because it's about what I want now. Instant gratification versus delayed gratification. And some of you, you're staring at marshmallows at a, of a different kind. But at the root of it is the same old heart issue about what you desire than what God desires. And you're willing, some of you are in the process of trading away something very valuable for something of nothing, no value at all. And some of you are thinking about doing that. Some of you are thinking about trading purity just for keeping a relationship alive. Some of you are trading your dependence on God for stuff that truly does temporarily satisfy. I, I know what that feels like. I have these temptations as well. Some of you are tra trading your character, your name, your integrity, just so that you're cool and you end up doing what the rest of the crowd does. And you're not looking at the consequences, nor do you care about your family. Some of you are willing to trade your family for a promotion. Some are willing to trade time with God for more sleep time or to get better in a certain activity. And all those things aren't, with respect to activities, aren't bad, but God is calling us to invest in him. And so it's not a recent trend at all. This has been happening since humanity. The desires that exceed the boundaries that God puts in place have always been there. There's always been an I want. We're going to look at Romans 8 and spend kind of the last half of the time together. In Romans 8, Paul's talking about this idea of life living for self and life being lived by the Spirit of God. Look at Romans 8, verse 5. Paul says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. This verse makes me ask the question of myself and, and, and for you too, you gotta say, am I living for my desires? Because that's normal. That would be normal. 
or am I living for God's desires? That would be living weirdly. It'd be living right, but that's the right thing. You see, being a Christ follower is, it's like a marriage. And the I do's are to go beyond the ceremony. That obedience is to go beyond that one time. And it's to happen in every word, every thought, every decision where we're putting before ourselves, what does God want me to do in this particular case? And where's our mind set? Is it set on what's before me? And it's really easy to look at your circumstances, especially when they're difficult, right? To, to stay staring at that. Or am I setting my mind on what God can do and trusting him and, and looking at his promises to get me through? When we go down the normal path, it, it doesn't yield the results that we would desire. I mean, how is normal working for you? Because I know when I do normal, it ends up to lead to a place that as scripture talks about is, is death. It's not physical death, but it's certainly not life. We're to trust God that in the end, he's telling us where the best place to go is. And even though what's before us may not look right, we trust him in that. And more importantly, is it pleases him. And we want to please God. Look at verse 6 again in Romans 8. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. When we go normal, it only leads to the same place, loneliness, rejection, shame, fear, um, fear, guilt. That's my experience, is when I do that, I end up at that same spot. Normal doesn't work at all. And I don't know why I'm surprised. Jesus says, listen, those two roads, you have a choice. One leads one way to life. The other one doesn't. Jeremiah said there, there's a one road, but there's the ancient, the right road. Take that. Paul's saying the desires that are based on self are not life-giving, but the ones based on God are. So why am I surprised? You see, we're called to be weird. And here's one thing. Weird people wait. Weird people are willing to delay gratification over instant gratification. They're willing to say no when everything, and you know what this feels like, when everything inside of them says, yes, I want that. Weird says no, I'm willing to let that go and wait because it's the right thing to do. There was interesting research done on that study that was based in the 1960s because they followed up with those four-year-olds when they became adults. Dramatic difference, dramatic difference in the two groups. You had the resistors um, who, who did the right thing and held back. They delayed the gratification. Here's what they found, that that group was more positive, they were more self-motivating, they were persistent in the face of difficulties, they were able to delay gratification in pursuit of their goals. And the end result 
with successful marriages, higher incomes, greater career satisfaction, and better health. As opposed to the grabbers, the one who went right after it. They were more troubled, they were stubborn, indecisive, distrustful, less self-confident. They were not able to squash their impulses for the I want now. And as a result, unsuccessful marriages, low job satisfaction, low income, bad health, and frustrating lives. Weird people see wisdom in waiting. It's a biblical principle. You see waiting in the Old Testament. The prophets were telling Israel, they promised them there is a better day ahead, i.e., wait, hopeful waiting. The New Testament, the writers there are urging us toward perseverance and long-suffering. So this idea of waiting is a biblical thing. Now, one difference in the video with the kids, they saw what they were waiting for, right? Do you always see what you're waiting for? Because I don't. In my journey, my faith journey, many times, I have no idea why I'm waiting. But you know that it's right to wait. 2000, the year 2000, I was working for IBM. And I knew at that time, that I'd be going into full-time ministry at some point. Not because I'd been asked to, I just, I just knew that that would happen. I started preparing for that. But there was years between it happened, when it happened. But in the process, some really significant things came up. Twice what came up was the opportunity to buy a family campground out on Cape Cod, which would have continued a legacy which would have provided for the family, um, you know, really, really well. But each time, it ended in a no. I didn't know why I was waiting, but I knew that I was to wait. And it didn't come until the end of 2005 when I knew, ha, I'm being called into a full-time position at LifePoint to do, at the time, small groups. There is wisdom in waiting. But I look at the greats of the Bible and say, how? How do you wait, right? How do you get that kind of patience in the midst of the unknowns? But I'll answer that by asking you this. How do you get the strength to say no? when everything inside of you is saying yes? How do you get the wisdom and the discernment to know which direction you are to walk? What road to go down? Because oftentimes, I think that I'm my only hope, right? This is only gonna happen if I... But Paul says... Listen, that self, that selfish self, Rob, can never please God, ever. Doesn't matter how, much, how strong you are. So how do you do it? Look at Romans 8. Paul gives a little secret here. Verse 11. And if, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. You see, this battle that Paul's talking about in Galatians 5 and Romans 7 and 8, it's real, it's intense, but Paul would emphatically say, it's a battle that can be won. But he'd say, not in your strength. It's not about you, Rob. You're not strong enough. It's in the Spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit. We need Jesus in order to be weird. We need him to, to, in order to please God. We need him in order to say yes to waiting. We need Christ. Some of you are still searching out and, and trying to wrap your head around this Jesus guy. And I just applaud you and, and, and say, keep going. Get to that spot where you understand who he is, why you need him. Because when you get to that point of believing, scripture says that he takes up residence in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. The same spirit, Paul says, that raised Christ from the dead takes up residence in you and is the one that knows how to say yes when yes is needed and no when no is needed and give you the strength to walk that narrow path. And you say, yeah, I'm a Christ follower, but it's still hard. Yes, I understand. I'm with you. But if you notice verse five, look real closely because the matter between life and death is slight. It simply falls on what your mind is set on. You see, weird people desire what God desires. God wants you to want what his heart wants. Paul says, it is your obligation to want that. It is a choice that we have. That is absolutely true. But where our desire is... And what it, what it is will change the trajectory of where we're going on a path. What we desire will affect where we go. The psalmist in chapter 40, verse 8 says this, I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. You know, pleasing God and doing his will takes the spirit of God in you, one. Two, it requires that heart that is always saying, I want to do, I want to desire what you desire. And notice what he says and how he's going to do that. He ties it, he says, your law is on my heart. So we do things like coming to worship, we get in groups, we serve. But a huge, huge part of doing what God desires and falling more in love with him is to read this book to pray the Psalms, to study the different books in here and to go out and live it. It's hard. I know we live busy lives, all of us. But we find time to eat. We find time to drink. We find time to do certain activities and hobbies. But this is a matter of life or death. It's not physical life or death. But it's a matter of life or death. And weird people are willing to wait. Weird people are willing to rid themselves of things that get in the way of loving God more and more. 
and getting rid of those things and making a priority the things that help them desire what God desires. And I ask you these questions. I, I ask myself this question. Where are you trading today something of value for something of no value? Where are you currently saying, yes, I want it now? When God is saying, not now, not like this, wait. Imagine what it would be like if you spent time sitting on your bed and just said, Lord, I know I've been trading my purity. I'm so scared that when I stop doing that, I don't know, one, how I'm going to afford things because I'm moving out. I don't want to tempt myself. I don't know how I'm going to afford things. I don't know if this person is going to stay with me. But you call me, Lord, to purity for a reason, and I trust that you do that, and you're going to provide, this, provide me the ability to do it. Imagine if you, you said, Lord, I've been living for stuff, and it's like eating Skittles. I'm hungry shortly after. I'm I'm sorry, but I need your strength to do it. I'm sick of the cycles. I know it's not pleasing to you. Or Lord, I've put my friends and what they want and being part of their crowd above family, friends, above you. And I'm willing to be lonely for you. You don't have to imagine what life would be like if you started living that way. Why? Because God word, God's word tells us what it would be like. Jesus said, it'd be a road that leads to life. Jeremiah said, it will be rest and peace for your soul. That's something of value. And it's our prayer, my prayer, that you choose the narrow way in his strength to help you walk. It is the mark of a Christ follower. And may we walk in his strength down that road. Let's pray. Father, just thank you that um, you know what's right for us. And I would pray help me and everybody here to see those marshmallows in our life. Where we're staring, either we're walking down that road, help us to turn the other way and start running toward you. And if, if we're, you know, in the process of doing that, uh, help us to have the discernment to see around us and again, run toward you. We desire to do your will because we know it's pleasing to you. And then selfishly, Lord, we also know that it brings rest and peace and life for our soul so that we can have that abundant life that you talk about. Help us to walk in the Spirit, your Holy Spirit. It's in your name.